Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. Good morning, y'all. I heard it was a rainy picnic last week, but thank you all for fellowshipping and fooding together. Uh, we are, we're in summertime now, and so the vibe we're trying to create here, as you can see, is like we're giving a concert festival vibe, okay? That's the plan, because if you are one of those folks that like to go to concerts in the summer, and you might show up at an event, and you show up for a few key people, right? You're like, I, I know this person and this band, and I want to go see them, but then you find some new favorites, right? You're exposed to people for the first time, and so that is what we're hoping that you will experience here at Echo this summer, that you will come to support the friends you know, and that you will come to meet those that you don't. We're going to have folks from NRPUs and from those who are traveling in from other places, and they're going to share here today. They're going to share on stage. I'm going to do some interviews with them. That's the, that's the plan for the summer. And a little promo that next week we're going to introduce a summer of service, and that's where all of us are getting involved. You're not off the hook yet. So details to come. If you're not on the email list, please let me know. Make sure you're getting this information. Now I'm going to introduce our guest today. This is someone that I know very well. Steve Carr happens to be my husband. And fun fact, he was the original pastor of Echo Church. And when we began this whole thing almost 18 years ago, there was a group of us that were, were praying about starting a church. And you had to figure out, what is the church going to look like? How is it modeled after the original church in Acts? How do we live like Jesus taught us to? And so decisions have to be made on how you practice and how you live. And Steve was a key part of that. And a lot of the things he did as pastor, even preaching through books of the Bible, laid a foundation that we continue today. And because Steve's job also today is still meeting with pastors across the country and evaluating and looking at how they function in their congregations, we thought he's the perfect one today. Because we're going to talk about what is the church? Why, why is it a thing? What was the original goal? And why do we do the things that we do? So let's welcome Steve Carr. When you see, hear, think church, what are the things that pop into your mind? I would say for many people, maybe not for those in this room, but many of us, as much as we want to be hopeful and optimistic, there's a negative connotation that comes in with the word church. And part of that is, is that church, although it's the source of many a great things, our memory tends to tie itself to those not so nice things. If I ask everybody in here, hey, do you have a, 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 a bad church story? I really don't think anybody would be like, I have none. Because we tend to do that. We've had those experiences. And the sad thing about that then is, is that the way in which we view church is often the way in which we view faith, Christianity, issues as such. Now, I will admit that I believe to be a little bit on the out, on the, as an outsider on this. And a photo for effect, just a couple weeks ago marked the 25th anniversary of my ordination as a Christian pastor. 
So, and I didn't, honestly, I don't like have it on the calendar. So I was just doing the math and I'm like, man, that was 25 years ago, probably like just a couple weeks while we were on vacation a couple weeks ago because um, it, it was just a moment at time that formulated that. And ever since then, even though I have had different jobs and I've not, you know, we started to echo, I was an, uh, an on-staff church pastor, but actually more so in the past, since we started about 20 years, most of my connection has been parachurch operations, serving the church in different ways to try to do that. And you would think then, after all of that experience of seeing the inning, you know, the inner workings, friends, I've seen the most horrible things that have happened in the name of church, and you think that would make me somebody that is just bitter about the experience, but for some reason I've been able to keep that optimism. Um, and maybe it even goes further back into my past. So a couple old pictures for you. I'm excited to share with you all the old pictures. Can you go back really quickly there too? This is my family, by the way, that's Steve in the middle. We used to wear ties. It was this horrible thing. I remember one time I preached and I didn't have a tie and I felt like I did a great sermon. My mother was in the audience and she was just like, I'm just, I don't think, I think the lack of a tie just really hurt what you were trying to say. So if I made it through that, but my mother loves the Lord Jesus Christ, but man, she loved herself some ties. Anyways, uh, moving on to that. A couple old pictures for you. On the left are Steve's grandparents. Uh, that is uh, Garrett and Jenny. And uh, Garrett, my grandfather, I, have, I never met. He passed away in 1971 and have only stories and recollections from him. On the right is a guy named Dan. And Dan Einan was a minister himself, and he actually taught at the school where I taught at, that is no longer in existence, Cincinnati Christian University, which was Cincinnati Bible Seminary. In the early 1950s, Dan and a couple other professors were looking at the old chapel building, and I kid you not, their chapel was an old Presbyterian church. The setup of it, which was very, very similar to this sanctuary, a little bigger, no incline so the kids can run and fall later after church. We could run unabatedly. So I see the kids fall, and I'm like, you don't understand. When you run around this church, there's an incline. So your little feet they don't work in the same way. So when your children fall and you're like, is my kid the clubs? No, it's because it's a slanted floor. That's church 101 that I'm introducing all of us into right here. That, again, no notes, that was for free. Um, Dan Einan taught faithfully and in the early 1950s started a church just over in Price Hill. And we have some Price Hillians that lived here. It was on the corner of Price Avenue and Grand Avenue. And that old church building doesn't exist because we had to tear it down because it was a horrible thing to maintain. And by the way, this church building was older than that church building, which is just crazy to think about this space in which we meet in week to week. So my family's history came from Garrett growing up in southern Kentucky, near the border of Tennessee, and he, like many other people, came from a coal mining factory. And actually, my great-grandfather had to, you know, I was doing research because seriously, all of our family history is disconnected. He was actually 28 years old, had four kids when he died in a coal mining accident. And the only reason I could do it is I could find the insurance claim payout online that described he was electrocuted while in a coal mine, which actually led my grandfather to having to become, as a 13-year-old, the head of his family 
And then in doing so, he had never had formal education. He started to work in the mines immediately, and his coping mechanism for that was alcohol on a daily basis. So unfortunately, he for many years had a cruel relationship with my grandmother. So when they moved the family up, and these new seminary professors right down the street started a church, my grandmother, who grew up from a Baptist background, decided, I'm going to go to church. And Dan was the preacher. He was the church planter of that church. And as my grandmother came in every week, he had seen her in the neighborhood, and he knew she wasn't alone. And he asked the questions. He's just like, why aren't your kids with you on Sundays? And she kind of explained. She's like, my, my husband does not like organized religion. My husband does not want his children in church. My father and his four siblings, five siblings. So Dan would ask a couple times, and finally when he did it, he said, well, I'm going to go call on your husband. And I don't know if that's like old-time religion-y stuff, but when the pastor went to call on you, this is the thing. They would actually, you know, unannounced come knocking on your door and come and visit, and then you would host them. It's like, the pastor's here, and it was like a thing, right? Like, I actually learned in seminary back in the early 90s how to go call on people. They don't do it, like, if you show up at somebody's door right now, they're like, it's the hovas, get out of here. No. Hide. Anyone? No. Okay. So, Dan went to visit my grandfather, Garrett, and I'm telling this story, this is just as best as I know it was told to me. So this is how it's been repeated. And I will tell you, there's a, a certain storytelling gene in my family, so I'm always like, is this how it happened? But there was some exchange that happened to this, so I don't think I'm embellishing. But to my understanding, this is how the exchange went. Dan went and knocked on the door and asked Garrett to come to the front porch, and they had some chit-chat. He goes, I'm he gets to brass tacks. I'm here today, Garrett, because... Your wife, Jenny, says that you won't let your kids come to church. And he said, that's right. And he goes, well, why won't you do that? And he said, because my kids, they don't need no religion. And apparently at that statement, Dan paused and then responded. He goes, look, just because you want to go to hell doesn't mean your kids have to. And that is, uh, I didn't learn that in seminary. I don't like blunt talk. That's like old school, just shove it in their face. The next week, my grandmother was in the church, and there were six kids in the pew right next to her, because that made sense to my grandfather. You're right. I say this because my story is tied so much into the existence of church, and who I am today, and who I aim to be, that as much as I see things that make me disappointed, I don't want to lose hope. And that is the goal for what I want to do. I'm glad that you all are here. I get to see the faces. And I know many of you are at a place of faith where you appreciate this church. You appreciate the community that we have. But what I really want to do over the next few weeks is to mine into the why. Why church? Why is it a thing? Because I think the issue is that even though we have good community here, I know that we have previous hurts. And I would probably predict that at some point, if it has not happened already, at some point in the near future, there's going to be an experience in your life that is going to either make you doubt, maybe echo as a church, or you will hear something from another person that will make you doubt the idea of church, and it could turn and sway your opinion. And what I would want to say is that a better, healthier understanding of what the church is from a biblical perspective will take us far. So the umbrella under which this is in, 
grant me some grace. It's my $5 theological word of this series is the word ecclesiology. So ecclesia, that, uh, that, that prefix right there, ecclesia, is the New Testament word for church. And actually, all that means is community. So it's not like that's the word for church, because we know in the Greek language, people use that for a gathering of just people who showed up to bathe together in the public places. Like that could be a community in ecclesia. So when we talk about ecclesia, it's not like it's this supremely holy thing. And then ecclesiology just then is the theology of the church. What does the Bible say about this? And what I've done over the past 25 years as a fan of the church, but somebody who is not beyond understanding that there are things that happen in church that pull us away from our relationship with God. It's trying to mine scriptures to see what is a true biblical ecclesiology. So over the next weeks, we're going to dive into some different subjects to try to give this picture to you. This isn't normal Kelly preaching, which by the way, normal Kelly preaching was normal Steve preaching and always, we've always studied straight through the Bible. This is more topical. So we'll talk Bible things, but I'm not going to have you turn to a certain thing. So again, thanks for your grace for this, but I think it's going to help us come into this. So when I talk about church, I have to talk about faith. And when we talk about faith, I look at the bifurcation, the dichotomy, the split, the two different categorizations, the two different categories of people that are in the world today. From a theological standpoint, from a faith standpoint, I would say that they are sinners and saints. Sinners and saints. Sound easy enough? Now, if you and I left to our devices are putting definitions together, we're going to say, hey, the sinners, we understand who they are. And then the saints are the redeemed people of God. We definitely know who they are because the, they is we, us is they, right? So we're like, it's an us-them situation that gets created. And probably if you've been involved in a church at any time, even if it was a good, healthy church, there was probably somebody from the pulpit who launched into some sort of tirade that categorized people into an us versus they. We are the holy saints, they are the dejected sinners, and the twain shall never meet. And actually, so when we're talking about this, I would say this is a biblical construct because we understand sin, separation from God, the things that we do that keep us from him, we understand that. And saints, those who follow God, who claim Jesus as Savior, are the ones who are supposedly getting it right. But I would offer at just a base level, the problem, friends, is we don't understand how this actually misses out, meshes out theologically because we like our things simple, right? I like simple, easy stuff. And if I can frame my faith into something this easy, then I'll subscribe. But I would offer to you that there is an intermixing of the two. So stick with me. Is that really the idea is, is that we here... And I'm looking around, you know, I don't know where you're standing in your faith position, but I'm saying, look, this is the gathering of the saints. The gathering of the saints are merely a collection of redeemed sinners. So congratulations, friends, you are saints, but you are sinners. And some of you, I see what you do online, and you're really good at it. Like, you sin at, like, an AP level. It is very impressive. I say this, though, as a reality for you and for me, and I want to make sure I'm joking about this, but straight talk, faith of Christ is that we who are saints continue to sin. And actually, that's what happens in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is trying to work this out with people because in a 
first century Jewish view of theology and holiness, they actually believed it's like, no, you can be clean and pure. Kelly preached about this through the book of Exodus, that the laws were given, and they're like, look, all we have to do is bail the laws, and that's what, what God wants from us. But the issue was that none of us obey perfectly, right? Like, just every day we sin, and if you don't believe that, then you need to recalculate the way you understand that. What is the only difference? The only difference between the sinners and saints conundrum is, is that we who claim to be saints to date who are sinners are that because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's the gospel of Jesus Christ? Gospel is that, that theological term for the good news, right? We understand the good news of Jesus. And when I say we, just real talk, you might not fully understand the entire message of Jesus. You're like, yeah, but there's a lot of the Bible there, Steve, and there's a lot of stuff I don't understand. But at the base level, you understand that in this world, you need help. The help that you need can be found in Jesus Christ, and because of that, he transforms who we are. This is the good news. This is the framework of the church, however, and that's what we miss within this. Because this is my, and I'm trying to give us like, break it down, three big points. My first big point for us is that the church dwells in the redeeming story of Jesus Christ, okay? So the reason that you are here today is not that we have a 501c3 organization and a rented space so that we can gather and, you know, keep your kids busy in the meantime, the reason that we are here today is that we subscribe to a transformational story that makes sense of stuff that we don't understand. And even though there are ellipses in life, things that we can never fully understand, that we tether ourselves to this story. Okay, so the framework of the church, the reason that we're here today is Jesus. Because we believe in something supernatural that people who do not will struggle to embrace. I always laugh when we go into the minutiae issues of theology, and I've spent the better part of two decades talking with people about their theological objections to understanding Christianity. And I'm like, look, you can talk about whether Jonah was swallowed by an actual whale, whether Noah fit, you know, all these animals on the ark, about all these miraculous things. But at the end of the day, we exist, and that is something that is not really easily explained. And the thing to which we tether our lives together is the faith of something bigger than ourselves. And that is a Jesus. A Jesus who does not reject us for anything but embraces us to become better versions of ourselves. So what the church is, is we collide with the story of Jesus and then we try to live that out together. So if you are having issues and problems, whether they are ideological issues, you're like, look, I'm reading the Bible, I don't understand all of this. Or if it is just immediacy issues that you have loved ones or personal strife that you're working through, we come together collectively under the umbrella of the story to live that out together. And that's what we are called to do as believers, okay? Stopping point, I'm going to pivot because we're going to work into this, so come into this. So why do I talk to this? Is What is the church, right? What is the church? Now, being in the midst of Cincinnati, we have different understandings of what the church is. And when I say that, especially some of us come from a Roman Catholic background, and because of that, the way that Echo does church seems different. They're like, look, there's a, there's a lady minister up there, and she doesn't wear collars, and all, you know, it's like, 
There, we, we don't have as much ritual. Like, what is the difference? Just trying to explain this from an aspect. So I want to talk about the word denominational. Denominational, which is a great, you know, that's, you're like, that's, Burke, that's what woke me up today. It's like, are we talking about denominationalism? Subscribe, I'm in. But maybe you are, for, you grew up in a Roman Catholic church. Maybe you were Methodist, Presbyterian. Pick your different flavor. That's, denominations are what we call them. And what denominations are, capital C, large group of churches that have smaller localized expressions. So in a denominational structure, whether you're Roman Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, some aspects of Baptist, which is all over the place, basically there is usually a headquarters, a leadership, like a hierarchical leadership, and then the dots there are all the little churches. So actually this church was a Methodist Episcopal church, which eventually became the United Methodist Church, and the ME church is now the U, the UMM. Um, you know, you're messaging to me. Did I do something? The building. Is that clear? Like, it's not like Echo is a Methodist church. Did I make that confusing? I love it. You know that whole interview thing? You should just sit here. Just sit here and interpret all this, okay? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. This is why marriage works. This is why she's the leadership. This is why I have to submit. But here's the deal. If you have a Methodist church, a Presbyterian church, I don't know if you saw this week, the Southern Baptists did it, uh, the Presbyterian Church of America, which is different from the PC USA church, like there's all these different flavors. They have boards and voting and bishops, and that leadership tells the churches what to do. And if the little dot is not in standing of that, they can say, hey, look, guys, we're going to 86 you. We're going to kick you out unless you get things right. Okay? Now, this was the prevalent way of doing church for decades. It really came into formation in America because we were an entrepreneurial people, and it's like, hey, we like to build new things, and let's build big, big, big organizations. But what happened here is at a leadership level, because it's not necessarily hierarchical, and unless you're Roman Catholic and the Pope is saying, hey, this is it, and everybody's like, he's the Pope, that's what we have to do, everybody else tends to vote on things. There's a lot of voting. I'll tell you, this is one thing, I hate to break it to you, I haven't finished the New Testament, there's really not much voting in the Bible. There's like really one instance of voting, and really it was kind of like, they were throwing lots, and they were like, hey, God, you know, come up with the snake eyes, and we'll pick this guy instead of that guy. That was a deviation, I can talk to you about it, but it's just there's no voting, right? But this was taken care of because it's like, look, if these big bodies get together, they can decide what's best for everybody, and we come into it. The problem is we live in a complex world, and there are issues on issues on issues on issues. So I was laughing this week is that people were voting on, should we boycott this restaurant chain because they do A, B, or C, right? So there's those levels of a minutia. Once you introduce voting, it's bad. And I will tell you this as a thing, we have nothing within our bylaws at Echo Church that permits voting, right? I know that's, and for some people it's like, well, what happens if something goes bad? We'll get into that. But just to let you know, no voting. So in a denominational structure, honestly, and this is it, next slide, Mikey, is that in that place, the leaders and creeds, creeds are collections of theology that people hold to, and even the hierarchical system exists over the Bible, right? So here's the things that they created, and really the Bible becomes a secondary product to that. It's like, look, we know Scripture says that because we have these creeds and we have to follow what it is. So there was one convention that was taking place this, this past week, and they were 
all arguing and voting on a singular word on 10,000 words in all of their creedal systems. And that was actually what a vote came down to, was a singular word. It sits above the Bible. Now, what Echo is, is a non-denominational church, or undenominational church, or, I don't know, denomination adjacent, whatever you want to call it. Because we are not denominational. So the issue is, within our tribe of churches, and I actually would teach the history of this back in seminary, in our tribe of churches, we were the first non-denominational group that came out of, uh, right after the American Revolution, because up until the revolution, there was the Church of England, because you know there's England. After that, there's a spattering of places. Our tribe basically said, hey, look, the Bible's enough. Let's just have individual churches. So our movement, the movement that Echo came from, was the first non-denominational movement in the United States. Now, what's interesting about that is, for years, that left it on a countercultural view, because people were like, look, if each church is independent, then that just sounds like absolute chaos. Well, it doesn't have to be, but for truly organized people who are like, look, we want to have structure and hierarchy, and the biggest problem in non-denominational churches, real talk, is funding, because people are like, hey, how do you fund this? You know how Echo Church gets funded? Us, the collective we. We fund it. We get no money from a larger group that does it. Um, we don't get any benefits from certain groups. So because we are independent, one of the challenges is always, how are we going to do the money thing? And actually, that's like what we've done at Echo. You know what we do is that we're cheap as all get out, and we just get stuff done, man. Like, we, we take that money, and we just work it all the way through. Right, Matt? Like, he sees the budget. We're all there. He's the treasurer. And at an end of denom in, in a non-denominational system, you can see that there's no connectivity. I want to go to this next slide because I think this is the positive thing. Then what happens is, is that the Bible hovers over us, okay? We have leadership team at this church. Eric's an elder, I'm an elder. Dylan and Shantae and Kelly are on the leadership team. One of the things is that as much as there's leadership right here, the authority here is we try to look at scripture and allow it to interpret who we are. Do you see the inverse of that? Now, that looks pretty, but I'm just telling you, that's, that's hard to live out too, right? Because then what happens, and somebody says, well, what about this case, and this case, and this case? What we try to do is we try to let the Bible speak and then allow for the diversity of people. You do not have to subscribe to everything that we theologically believe as a church. And what's interesting is that our theological imperatives are very small. Really, there's only like eight or nine. And I've been looking to revise them because I'm like, we actually need less in some ways. Because what we're just saying is like, look, we believe the Bible is the word of God. We believe that we people who are called here are sinners redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And beyond that, we're doing our best to live this out. So, I, you know, and, you know, I just always talk about Susan. Susan and I, who's been part of this church for the better part of almost 20 years, we would always have conversations where she's like, well, what if I don't believe this or this or this? And these were in the early days, and it was just trying to assure her. It's like, look, there's not a trial. <laughs> there's not like you have to meet before the elders. It's just this idea is that we are in journey together trying to live out the Bible the best way as a community. I love to say that because that sounds heartening, but real talk, what it can do, and it has done in certain instances, not here, but in other instances, is it can make a cult-like collection. It can be our church then has the right way of viewing the Bible and all those other apostates out there are getting it wrong. And that's what we have to guard against. 
because we have to say, look, we believe in something bigger than what is even about Echo Church. So we are a community trying to get it right. I feel like we do a pretty good job. Sometimes we get it wrong. And it's not Kelly's fault. It's probably my fault more than anybody. But if there are times that we get it wrong, we try to be gracious as leaders, just coming in to say, be part of the community. Why? Talking point for us. The church is the people. As much as, you know, we want to talk about this is the church. No, this is a building. Echo Church is the church. Yeah, Echo is a 501c3 organization with the federal government filed and well. But the reality is what we are as a church is hard to define unless we do it overly simplistically. We are a community of believers doing our best to try to journey toward Jesus and bring other people along in the ride. And that's been the immense pride of what this church is. And that was key to me. And by the way, some of you have been here for the longest time, but we've, it's always been about, you know, I feel like the church is operating at a better level now, Echo is, than it was even when we've started. But the one thing I knew right is like, look, let's work on this DNA to be like, this is going to be the church. Usually when we have, over the years, people leave more so because they moved than anything else. And only I can think of like two occasions that we had leave, people leave this church where they were like, here's a theological issue and we think you guys are in the wrong. And you know what we do in those situations? <clears throat> we have like these, you know, like holy baseball bats that we bring out and we just lay them on the table. No, you know, the best part about those breaks is like, look, we love you. We want to bless you along your way. We're just not sure this is the community where you need to be today. And that's painful, but we'd rather live at that place so that we can figure out what it means to live like the people of Jesus. Why can't we live our lives alone? Man, let's skip through these slides. Mikey, will you do me a favor? Go to, <clears throat> just go forward a couple slides. I told you this would happen. Biblical community, that's where I want to start. Thank you. So what does it mean to be biblical community? What does it mean to be biblical community? And I think that's where we're going to journey right here. This is my Bible part of this. The book of Genesis, which is one of the most influential books in the Bible, because we see God made everything. It's the first narrative that carries on through the rest of Scripture. In the book of Genesis, we see the creation of humanity. First, there's a man, right? Then we see woman created. And inevitably, man and woman come together to have a family. And because of that, it seems to be within a lot of Christian belief that that framework is like the important unit to God, right? So it's family. It's bloodlines, right? It's like we come together and we have this. Real talk, and I mentioned this some things, is that this was probably the first, I don't know if I missed it, I didn't hear it, but you know, this is the first time, hey, Father's Day, if you're a dad, happy Father's Day. But you know why we don't talk about, really, we are very low-key about Mother's Day, Father's Day, a lot of this stuff, because a lot of us have hurt related to those aspects in life, and as much as we believe as a church, it doesn't mean that families are unimportant, but at the same time, in the kingdom of God, it was never intended to be elevated to the highest level of unithood. Can I try more, one more time to clarify this? Because it's very funny, because I, again, I've studied theologically with very uber, fundamentally, fundamentalist, conservative people, and very progressive, liberal people who don't believe a lick of the Bible. But here's one of the things, is that on the, on the more conservative side, they're like, look, it's the family unit. It was Adam and Eve, right, were created, and then that's the family and that's the most important thing. And they always skip over the fact that in that family, one of the kids actually murdered the other child, right? So this is not to say 
If you're in this church and you have a family relation, great, we're excited about that. But it's not like that is the singular path that, dis- that discerns biblical community, right? Family can be a biblical community and want to pursue and have that, but we're not going to elevate it to a point where we're distinguishing from other people because definitions of family are always Morpheus. And then real talk, and you know this, some of your non-bloodline relationships are more important to you than the actual family that you have, right? And you always feel a little guilty because you're like, is that okay? And we're going to get through this is that it ends up being okay. So the family unit can be a biblical community, and they started it, and then within the first few pages of the Bible, it goes to pot, so you're like, what else is there? Then we see in the Old Testament the rising of the nation of God's people, the nation of Israel. We saw biblical community through borders, right? It was like, hey, this is who we are as a people, as a nationality. And it's very interesting, if you read through the Old Testament, you're like, okay, how'd that work out for them? Because then there's this idea, it's like, hey, let's build a nation, but we're going to be tribes. And then in the tribes, some of us are going to be crazy tribes. Like, it's very interesting. If you look in the book of Genesis, what happens at Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 17, which is just all over the map, the same exact thing happens to the people of God at the end of the book of Judges. So it's this idea where it's like, no, who I am as a country, but that nationality is what really defines us, right? But the issue is from a biblical perspective, by the time that Jesus gets on the scene in the first century there, even that whole thing is messed up. They don't have a king. Roman has a despot. Uh, The priests are trying to take over. They're like, look, this is what we're trying to do to reestablish the nation of Israel. And it does not work out well. There might be like certain five-year periods within the history of God's people where the nation of Israel works out okay, and then everything else is absolutely horrible, right? That's a revisionist history that is not helpful. But then Jesus dies resurrected, and his last pep talk to the team It's like, hey, guys, something bigger is coming. And what is that? It's the church. And I would offer that the church is the redemption of biblical community. And we'll close up with that, but I want to talk about how that works itself then in Scripture because there's a couple narratives that point to this. In the book of Genesis, no one and his kids get off the boat. God said, hey, spread around just fill the world, it'll be a great place for you. And they're like, nah, we'd like to stay here. And then apparently they start to get into real estate and build a tower, that Tower of Babel, right? And they're coming together and they're doing this. There's this weird inner dialogue in the Bible where God's like, hey, look at these jokers over there. If they keep doing this, like, you know, God says, hey, we should kind of undo this. How does God undo the people when they have idolatrous thoughts? He's like, hey, you speak the same language, I'm just going to give way, I'm going to throw all the languages in the world out at them. Let's see how they deal. And that is the book of Genesis way of explaining how we get the diversity of nations, right? Like they're like, hey, here's different nations. God confused it's coming back. Familiar with that story? Some of us are familiar with that story. It's always a weird story, right? You know why it's a really weird story? Because we don't see how it wraps into the rest of the Bible. Then on the day the church starts, Jesus leaves 50 days after passwords, Passover is Penta, Pentecost, and that is the day the church starts. And basically the people of God then, who Jesus has just left, he died, was, he was killed in Jerusalem, he was buried in Jerusalem, resurrected, there's some happenings, but then at Pentecost, which is another Jewish festival, they're all hanging out at the Temple Mount. Like they're just all hanging out there, 
And apparently there's this supernatural event that happens and the spirit is released unto God's people. And it says in Acts chapter 2 that they started speaking the message of Jesus and everyone heard it in their own language. It's like when you're on the Netflix and you're messing around with like, I wonder what, what language I can watch Friends in. They have the opportunity to hear the gospel talked in their own language. What is the church? The church is the inversion of the Babel conundrum. At Babel, people became idolatrous. They're like, hey, we, God, that's fine, but we can reach and we can do our own thing. God says, I'm going to use language to make things confusing, and let's see how humanity does. And for hundreds of years, they struggle. And then when Jesus leaves, he says, something bigger is coming. And on the day of Pentecost, what happens? God says, languages will no longer be an impediment. That the church will be the community. And this is what I love about this, is that the church, all of this is just an allusion towards what heaven is supposed to be. Where we understand is that the confusion of humanity on this earth is not going to be there. And the commonality, what is it going to be? Heaven is going to be community wrapped up in the story of God. The story of God comes to fruition through the church. Why? The church provides us a heavenly, heavenly glimpse of what biblical community should be. Now, that's inspiring, but real talk you guys are like, hey, Steve, I get it that the church is supposed to illustrate heavenly community, but man, I've seen some churches that look just like hell. And quite honestly, for the longest time over the past two decades of us doing Echo, many of the people that have come from us were usually their last stop to just giving up altogether because they're just looking for a church where they can pursue Christ and be in a place where they feel that their questions aren't seen as impediments to be negated we want it to be opportunities for us to grow together. But I want you to feel good is that even though these churches are perfect, does not mean the intentionality of God is prohibited for God to work through the church. Does that make sense? So I always feel bad, and this is the wrap it up, is that in my job now for the past eight years, I've been able to travel the country. I help churches with their logistics. I help them figure out how they grow one of the encouraging things for me is I get to see some of the most dynamic church growth stories that have happened. There's churches I get to talk to. Man, there's one, my favorite one is this little church in Connecticut where this dude's father started. It was a church smaller than Echo. There was 12 people meeting in a room. His dad dies at the age of 48, too young, and the son at the age of 21 is like, I guess I'm pastor now. And now that church is like, they, they meet in a space, no jerk, joke, they're, no jerk, no joke. Their church is like half the size of this. They pack in chairs. They, they are violating fire marshal things like as deftly as they can. And yet the gospel is growing in a tough community just outside of New York City. And they have people of every tribe and tongue and nation. And I'm always like, man, those, I, I come into it and there's that glimmer of hope saying the church can work. But my challenge for we, for us in this room, is don't let those impediments be confused with the biblical idea of what the church can be. Churches aren't perfect. God bless you. Echo ain't a perfect place, but boy, we're going to try 
as hard as we can to be community that pursues Jesus. So I hope you feel that. I hope you believe that because uh, that's what still makes this time, these gatherings, the best part of my week. To see you, when I get to teach kids of yours, it's the whole thing is that Jesus is working through our humble community and he'll continue to do so. So what we do, we keep eyes on Jesus, right? And that's why every week, and this is not something that's prescribed like in our, uh, our, our like a denominational thing. One thing in our church tradition, this non-denominational tradition, is that we did communion every week. And that's because, by the way, in Acts chapter 20, it's like they met on the first day of the week to break bread, and there was a bunch of people who said if they did it one week, they had to do it every week, and that's why we have to do it every week. And that's why part of my experience growing up was like my father who was an elder, we would do in-home communion. And it's like, I've got to get them communion this week because every, we have to do it every week. And God bless, we love this gathering, but we are not doing this from a legalistic perspective. Like we do not believe it is a sacrament. We think it's an opportunity for spiritual remembrance. Why? Because every week, we, the people who pursue Jesus, want to make sure that we are keeping our eyes focused on Jesus. Something will happen in your life this week that will derail you in a minor or major way, and the hope and prayer is, is that this time, with the Holy Spirit remembering what Jesus did for you, will resonate and remind you that there's something bigger in this life that I deal with. And the thing I love about communion etymologically, I love to say etymologically fast, it always that's the coffee speaking, but the big thing about communion is the commune, which is the same etymology of community. So it's not something that you do alone, it's what we do together. And that's why, even if we've got the station people, if you want to get up here because I'm going to wrap up this type of thing, because man, you've got bread, bread will end up being here, is that this is the point, is that it's something we do together. And when we come down the aisles and have this opportunity, it's what we do as the church. We, the church, remember Jesus. Does that make, mean that it always makes sense in every way? No, it doesn't. But we are in humble pursuit of what Jesus is doing for us together. And that's why the church is important. I love talking about that, man. Good times. I'm going to pray. You're just going to play some music. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come forward, grab the bread and the cup. Let's take some time to remember him. All right? Let me pray, and we'll commune. Heavenly Father, we come together and praise you. Father, even though I, I look in this room, I'm just thankful for who you bring to us, people here who are in pursuit of you, Father, but um, we recognize and acknowledge there's a lot of church hurt, a lot of pain that comes within our experiences that we've had in church. And for us, what I would ask for is that you help us to let go, that you help us to release. Because, Father, as you grant grace to us sinners making us saints, you make us saints despite ourselves. It's not like we're perfect, but your son was perfect, and because of him you see us as such. So we're thankful for the good news. I'm thankful for the people in this church that you bring together. Father, we're honored at the time that we might commune and remember the story of Jesus. So in this time, this experience that we have, just help us in this time to remember your son Jesus and the sacrifice that brings us together. We give him praise. 
Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.